We're turning to the New Testament this morning and to Acts chapter 19, the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, and keep the scriptures open at the Word of God here. Acts chapter 19 deals with the Apostle Paul's arrival and his ministry in the Asian capital of Ephesus. For three years he ministered, ending up with one of the greatest biblical revivals in either the Old Testament or the New or one of the greatest biblical revivals. Now I want you to think of Ephesus and what I'm going to say this morning of our own province and our own land in these days. Ephesus was a very affluent wealthy, intellectual, industrious city of about 400,000 to half a million people. But if you read the story about Ephesus in Paul's day, you'll discover that it was steeped in and controlled by demonology, astrology, immorality, and above all, idolatry. The Holy Spirit always describes things accurately and honestly. And whenever the Holy Spirit describes to us the state of a person or the state of a city or the state of a province or nation, you may be sure that it's truth. Five times the Holy Spirit tells us in Acts 19 that the city was evil. I want you to look at verse 9. But when different divers were hardened and believed not, but speak evil. Then I want you to look at verse 12. And you have in verse 12... An evil spirit. Verse 13, you have an evil spirit. Verse 15, you have an evil spirit. And in verse 16, you have an evil spirit. Now you would say to me this morning, and I would say to you, what hope, what hope, would a man have gone in amongst this crowd to preach the gospel? And what hope would there be of revival blessing? I can tell you that the main street of Ephesus was one mile long, covered on both sides with shrines and images to the great goddess Diana who was supposed to have fallen from heaven. 
to open your mouth against her with sudden execution. Hundreds of thousands of tourists, the Word of God tells us, all over the world wide, scraped and chanted at her altar daily. Exorbitant prices were charged for relics, for reminders and souvenirs for the visitors. I suppose it was the Roman Catholic Lourdes and the Muslim Mecca and the Communist Lenin and the Memphis of Presley all put into one sheer and utter idolatry. The goddess uh, Diana, her statue was 340 feet long, 164 wide with 120 marble colonnades or arches covered in gold. Now I'm painting a picture for you this morning of a city in Asia. And it was to this metropolis that the Apostle Paul came on his third missionary journey. He stayed the most here three years than anywhere else. He prayed the most here than anywhere else. He preached the most here and wept the most here than anywhere else. In the next chapter, he tells us, I kept nothing back. I am pure from the blood of all men. I went from house to house preaching the kingdom of God and warning people night and day with tears, contending and disputing the gospel. History records for us At a number of years, three years and a number of years after that, when the revival was over, there wasn't one unsaved, unbeliever in all of Ephesus. I want to point out something to you as I make my case for my meeting this morning. I want to point out something very important to you. Five times in in the Word of God, in the Acts of the Apostles, Five times we get the name given to the early Christians as the way or that way. Twice in Acts chapter 19, look at verse 9. And you'll see in verse 9, but spake evil of that way. And verse 16, again, you have it again, that way. And so... And verse, verse 9, verse, verse 9, sorry, verse 23, you have it again. And verse, in verse number 23, there arose no snore, snore about that way. Then in chapter 9, Acts and 16 and 23, you have it mentioned again. Every time that the early church was called that way or the way, it had to do with affliction and strife and opposition. Now, obviously, obviously, they took their name from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, where I am there ye may be also. And remember Thomas said, and we know not where thou go, and how dost thou know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they have taken their name and they were known 
as the way, and they were known as the truth, and they were known as the life. What did he mean when he was saying, what did the early Christians mean when they were saying that they were the way? What did Jesus mean when he was saying, I am the way? Well, of course we know he was the only way to be saved. He was the only way to be released from sin. You see, the way has a beginning and the way has an end. It is a journey. And these early Christians pointed out that there was a journey from beginning to end and it ended in different places, in two places. The only way to be saved from sin was to go this way. I am the way out of sin. I am the way out of darkness. I am the way out of bondage. Sinner, do you hear this this morning? I am the way into joy. I am the way into pardon. I am into the peace. I am the way into deliverance. I am the way into forgiveness. I am the door. I am the bread. I am the vine. He is the only I am. And then he says, I am the truth. If the way is the only way to be saved, the truth is the only way to be sure. Are you sure this morning? Well, you will be sure if you lean completely on the truth of God's word and the gospel. The law of the Lord is perfect. Test The testimony of the Lord is sure, very sure, the psalmist says. The sure mercies of David. Are you sure this morning? Can you say like Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Because the way I tell you makes you Get you saved and it'll make you sure. And then if the way is the only way to be saved and the truth is the only way to be sure, the life is the only way to be satisfied. Are you satisfied this morning? This was the early church. This was what the early church preached. They preached that you could be sure. They preached that you could be saved. They preached that you could be satisfied. That is the gospel. It is still the gospel. It is still the gospel that we preach and the gospel that we believe and the gospel that we have experienced. Now ever since the Lord made these mighty statements of fact and Paul and Peter until this very hour and more so today modernists liberalists atheists ecumenists Agnostics attack with fierce venom, preaching like this. What pomposity they say. What arrogancy they say. No one is allowed now to make an exclusive, dogmatic, orthodox view about anything. We're told we live in an all-inclusive society. And legislation at this moment has been drawn and has been drawn up to prevent us from being dogmatic about the truth that we love. Toleration now is the name of the game. We must tolerate the transgenders. We must tolerate the abortionists. Equality. Every man, every church, every denomination, every sect, every cult, every creed. 
They all have a right to their own views. There are many ways to get to God, and there's many ways to get to heaven. We have no right. We will not be lectured to by Bible bashers or fundamentalists to tell us that there's only one way, there's only one God, there's only one heaven, there's only one truth, there's only one marriage. And here's the sad bit, my friends. And I go as far to say this this morning, that there's nothing that I know of, and I'm a right while on the road, there's nothing that I know of that has wounded and damaged and paralyzed the message of the evangel in Northern Ireland more than inconclusive preaching. The modernists and the ecumenists and the humanists all preach another gospel to us. And I want to say this also this morning from my heart. There's a young breed of ministers and there's a young breed of pastors coming out of the colleges and they're brainwashed. They're blow with the wind and they're going with the crowd. And in order to keep their manses and keep their money and keep their maintenance, keep their golf tournaments and their cruises and their two houses, they preach, if you can call it preaching, a watered-down, diluted, anemic, mongrel gospel. And it has paralyzed our land. And the day is coming, and it has come, when preaching like this will be hated more and more and more. Compromising vague generalities unprovoking platitudes to please the members and to please the people and to keep their wee boat sailing. But it has done irreparable damage in our land. Another gospel Paul calls us and is condemned to destruction. They have watered it down, my friend. We're living in a day in evangelical churches when you're not hearing the blood. You're not hearing about hell. You're not hearing these old truths lifted up fairly and squarely. This is what the Word of God says, and we believe it. And if you don't want it, you needn't come. Sin is no longer sin. The gospel is no longer the power. The blood now is old-fashioned. It's all gone over the place now in these modernistic, humanistic churches. The problem is with your mind, it's with your head, it's with your genes. Psychological defection, they call it. Tell the drunkard and the drug addict and the homosexual and the thief and the liar that it's counseling they need. We need psychiatric nurses and doctors in our churches. We do not need psychiatric nurses and doctors in our hospital. It's an affront to the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel and the blood of Jesus can't cleanse and deliver men and women, then we're finished. Grieve the Holy Spirit talking like that. I'll show you where the problem is. It's counseling you need to say, you, you, your mother didn't love you. Your father abused you. You were bullied when you were at school. Someone stood on your toe. The problem is not my find with the head. The problem is with the heart. And I'm not saying there's not a place for counseling. There is. 
You ask me, do I believe in deliverance? There's nobody believes in the deliverance ministry more than I do. But nobody has seen deliverance more than I have seen deliverance, even in my own life. We need to get this thing straight now. We need to know where we're coming from in these days. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for me that he might what? Deliver us from this present evil world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us he has delivered, he does deliver, and he yet delivered. He can deliver the drug addict. He can deliver the drunkard. He can deliver the homosexual. He's able to deliver. We have come into where we don't believe this anymore and we're running here and running there and looking for everything else because the gospel's not been preached in power. And I trust this message goes far and wide and into these slick modern young evangelists and preachers that are up and down and down in our land with 15-minute epilogues in the morning to their people and children's stories and announcements and have nothing for them. We need to get back to the word of ever. We needed to get back. We need to get back to the word of God. He does deliver. He has delivered. And he will yet deliver. And he can deliver in our bow. And he can deliver in the park. And he can deliver in Tyrone. Hallelujah. Come sing my soul and praise the Lord. Who hath redeemed me by his blood. Deliver thee from chains that bound and brought me to redemption ground. You know, I'm hearing of deliverance. I'm, in the last two weeks, I've heard of a number of deliverances in marriages and in homes and in different places, things attached to this assembly. And I believe that God is able to deliver and I believe that he answers prayer. And I believe that we're on the right road and that we stay in this road, we're going to see a move of God coming into the province and cutting across all this old demonology and astrology and nonsense that everything's on. And God will have the way. That's the message for our bow. It's the message for the park. It's the message for the fields and the streets. It's the message. It's the message for this hellish capital of Ephesus where Paul says, I fought with wild beasts, metaphorically beasts. And if you study that chapter, I tell you, it's not for the faint-hearted. Now, the first thing that I want to do, or the first thing that I want to do, is the first thing that Paul did. What was the first thing that Paul did when he came into this Ephesus place? My friend, we either believe the Word of God or we don't believe the Word of God. I hope you have your Bible open at Ephesians, at Acts chapter 19. What was the first thing that he did? Verse 1 tells us, And it came to pass, while Paul was at Corinth, behold, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples. Now that word finding is the same word used in Luke 15, the finding of the sheep and the finding of the sun and the finding of the silver. You had to search for it. So Paul's in Ephesus, this city that I've just described to you, this heathen, hellish, demonic, awful place, Paul's in this, what's the first thing he does? He looks for men. 
And he searches until he finds men. And I'm going to show you in a minute that he found 12 men. He's searching and he's looking, he, he, he's looking for men. What's the first thing he asks these men? Do you know anything about the culture of Ephesus? Do you know anything? What do you know about the goddess Diana? What do you know about these sons of Sceva? What do you know about the history of Ephesus? Show me your degrees and show me your diplomas and show me what you've got. A lot of nonsense. I applied for a Bible college when I was in my last job and they come back to me and said, how many O-levels? You said, I have no O-levels. And they said, you need to take a year and get two or three O-levels and then come back to us again. I said, it could take me ten years getting one O-level. And then when I got into the college, they said to me, I want you up at half eight now in the morning because we're going to do, we're going to do a, a number of Tuesday mornings on anthropology. I said, what's anthropology? And then they explained to me it was to do with people in foreign lands and lands and people where they come from and all that. I said, I don't want to know anything about that. I want to know how to preach the gospel. All the said, if you want to preach the gospel, know how to preach the gospel, we recommend another college to you. Imagine an evangelical college in Ulster telling you to go to another college to learn how to preach the gospel. You can't learn it anyway. In my heart was a burning fire to reach the lost, and that's all they could tell me. No degrees, no diplomas, no doctors, no nothing else. What have you got, sir? What have you men got? He didn't ask them anything like that. What did he ask them? Well, you read the scripture for yourself. He said unto them in verse 2, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I want you to let that sink in. I'm not here to debate the doctrine of the Holy Spirit this morning. Nor I'm not here to dispute the error of the King James in this translation, for there's an error in this translation. King James is not all perfect, you know. But I want to come down to the bottom line of what Paul says to these men. The bottom line he says to this man, where do you stand in relation to the Holy Spirit? That's all I want to know. John was just an ignorant and poor, ignorant fisherman, and Peter was a poor, ignorant and unlearned fisherman. And they give us a great part of the New Testament. He said, I want to know where you men stand in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look at this. In verse 1, they were were called disciples. In verse 2, they were believers. In verse 3, they were baptized. In verse 7, and here's the wee verse you never need to miss, and it's tucked in there and you wouldn't see it. And all the men were about 12. 12 men. But look at the verse before it. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost before they went out into action. 12 men. 12 men. Paul's looking for men. Nothing else is going to drive back the forces of evil and the forces of darkness. There's no use in coming into this place and waving your diploma. There's no use in coming into this place and telling them that you have a doctorate. 
They beat up seven preachers, these boys, and stripped them and wounded them and chased every one of them out. They had no power against them. The only answer to this situation, Paul says, I need men filled with the Holy Ghost. And as we look up and down our land today, I'm afraid there's missions and there's meetings going on and ministers and preachers and evangelists are not filled with the Holy Ghost. And unless we get back to the filling of the Holy Spirit, 13 men filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'll be saying a word about them in closing. These 13 men filled with the Holy Ghost turned Ephesus upside down, rooted out the Diana, the Diana statutes and all the rest of it. Look at, it, look at what has happened in verse 19. Many of them that are in the place in Ephesus which used curious arts and brought their books together and burnt them before all men and accounted the price of them about 50,000 pieces of silver, a couple of hundred thousand in our money today. When the Holy Ghost began to move, they went into their homes and they pulled out all the old trumpery and all the old goddesses and all the old badges and all the old relics today and they burnt every one of them. And then it says in the, in the next verse that the Word of God, that the Word of God grew mightily. Verse 20, so mightily grew the Word of God. What was the answer to this place, my friend? The answer was men filled with God. This was the fourth outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. The first one was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. The second one was in the house of Cornelius when the Holy Ghost came down. The third one was when Philip went down to Samaria when the Holy Ghost came down. And here's the fourth one. The Holy Ghost has come down. We can look back. We have to go way back to 1859 and 1904 and we have to go way back. If God finds 13 men sold out and filled with the Holy Ghost, he'll turn Tyrone upside down. He'll scatter the abortionists and he'll scatter the murderers and he'll scatter the evil. And it's our only hope. Now let's look at these men as we come to a close. What sort of men were they? Before this. Hmm? How can we apply these men to the modern congregations? Well, thousands in Northern Ireland this morning baptized in, in the tank immersed. There's thousands this morning who claim to be disciples, learners of the Word of God. And there's thousands on top of thousands who tell you they're believers. Have you got that? They were disciples. They were believers. They were baptized. But the question I had to ask the Holy Spirit as I wrestled, wrestled for days over this message 
where were these men for the past 30 years and what were they doing? Well, why do you see 30 years? Well, they were, they were disciples of John the Baptist. They said that we were baptized unto John. We were John's disciples. John was 30 years gone. Where were they for the last 30 years? How is it that they let this, this place of Ephesus get into such a state? How is it that the, that the idolatry was running the whole show and the demon sons of Skevin, the demons were casting out men and women and destroying and killing, beating up preachers and stripping them? And there's another connotation to that too, as we haven't time to go into. It was a filthy place. Where were these men for the last 30 years? Now I ask you this morning, where have you been for the last 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years? Why is the province in the state that it's in? I'm asking you young preachers out there this morning, and you ministers out there this morning, that are jacking up old congregations that are dead. I'm asking you this morning, passing you, challenging you this morning, where have you been? Why has our province got into such a state, even worse than England as far as abortion is concerned? Why is there such filth and immorality and idolatry in our province if we have so many Christians, so many churches, so many ministers, so many tracts? Why are we? Well, the question you've got to ask, where are the men filled with the Holy Ghost? That's what you've got to ask. Why are we sitting in death? Why is the devil mocking us and laughing at us? These men said that they belonged to John the Baptist. Okay, well, if they were disciples of John the Baptist, he was a man full of fire and full of faith. If they were disciples of John the Baptist, they saw the kings and they saw the prostitutes and they saw the farmers and they saw the flocking and flocking and thousands to the Jordan where he baptized them and where a mighty revival broke out and many were saved. They just saw all that. And I can imagine if you were talking to some of them boys, they would have said, oh, if only John the Baptist was here. I will dare here. Oh, if only we were back in the days when the CWU was on fire and the faith mission was on fire. I'll tell you, the fire's gone out, and I be, the fire's gone from them all. Why do we thump and thump and thump message after message, door after door, door after door, track after track? And little or nothing's happening. There has to be an answer to it. Oh, if only we were back in the days. We had Sam, we had Douglas Crossman in this pulpit for a week preaching. He stayed with us up at the house. He wrote that hymn, he, Mighty Man of God, Mightily Used, brought up under Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mighty Man, oh, if only we had Crossman back. Crossman's dead. Oh, we had Colin Peckham here doing meetings of the president of the college and revival and the spirit and the presence of God was so real. He's gone. Eric Stewart, gone. They're all gone from us. In the sense that they're not here preaching. Oh, if only we had those days back. 
Oh, if only Nicholson, oh my, if only we could get back to Locker and Wales and Evan Roberts. My friend, you forget all about that. What's wrong? What happened? What stopped you? When you got saved and got, got the fire of God into your soul, did you ever get filled with the Holy Ghost? Was it possible, is it possible that whenever John the Baptist died, they died? Would it have been possible, my friend, that whenever they took John the Baptist and put him in prison after six months of ministry and he sent out in doubt, he sent out, he said, sent out to the Lord, are you the one that comes or, or do we look for another? He was filled with doubt in the prison. And if he was filled with doubt, they were filled with doubt. They were filled with fear. And we prayed and we fasted that John would be released from the prison, but they didn't release him. They took his head off and they put it on a plate and they carried it round. What sort of a God is this? Is that what you're saying this morning? I used to run well for the Lord, but you know, so many things is happening, so many things is going. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? I don't understand God. No, no, you never will. But a man or woman filled with the Holy Ghost will not be talking like that. You never will, my friend. What is the answer? The answer here is what these men had. We can't be going back to past days and past months and past years and I'm good at it myself. But oh, my friend, this is the day. This is the hour of power. This is the day the Lord has the lifeboat here. This is the day that he has raised us up for. You're a believer this morning. You're baptized this morning. You say you're a disciple this morning, but have you any power? For 30 years, these men, 30 years before this, these men were going well. So were the children of Israel. They were redeemed out of Egypt. They were led by the cloud of fire. They drank from the rock. They tasted the manna. They fed on the quails. But for 40 years they wandered in Cadiz Barney and they wouldn't go over. I preached one night at a gospel mission on that text and they came to Cadiz Barney but they wouldn't go any further. And there was a sergeant of the police with his full uniform on him sitting in the meeting who pulled in his police car and locked her up and came into the meeting and he, he got saved through that text. Cadiz Barnea so far, but no further, wouldn't go on. But he went on in that night. And you heard Cadiz Barnea, so many of God's people heard Cadiz Barnea, but they never went over to the blessing, they never went over to the victory, they never went over to the power, they looked back and said, oh, we can't do this, we can't go, there's giants in the land. My friend, don't spend another year trailing round in Cadiz Barnea. Don't spend another five minutes trailing round in Cadiz Barnea. Step over for God today. And then they came, only Josh and Caleb. Only Josh and Caleb held on. Glory to God for those men. Held on and brought them over. Are you going to come over? 
You know, it says something here, and I must bring this out this morning. If you read this, they'll talk about uh, the word vagabond. Do you know what a vagabond is? Well, a vagabond is one who travels from place to place with no physical financial assistance. He begs, a sort of a beggar. He goes from place. There's a lot of God's people like that, you know. I see some of you here this morning. You'll not be here next week. And you mightn't be here to September time again. You're a vagabond. That's what you are. Run from place to place and run from church to church. You're no use to anybody. We need men that will stand their ground and get in behind the work in whatever church. Whatever church. There's a whole lot of questions around these men that I haven't time to answer. I'm going to throw out a couple of them as I close. Why, if they were baptized with John and the Jordan, and they were believers and their disciples, why did Paul baptize them again in verse 5? For that's what I read. When they heard this, what did they hear? About the filling of the Holy Spirit. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, what, what way do you answer that? And I know people in this very assembly this morning who were baptized twice with immersion. And I know of an elder in the church who got baptized and he went with the crowd and the young people and he went into the waters of baptism, but he wasn't saved. Hold tight now, some of you. You went with the crowd, didn't you? And you were down into the tank and you were baptized and it was a great night and there was tea and everything after Was there anything really done in your life? Hmm? And that man is 70 years of age. He was an elder in the church for years and years. And he went to the pastor and he says, you know, I wasn't saved really when I got baptized. I wasn't saved after. So all the pastor says, oh, you're all right, you're baptized. And I said, no, he says, it's not it. He says, I wasn't saved in an first. I know when I was saved and it was still after that. And you know that very pastor that he was talking to and read the scripture and read that verse and says, if Paul did it, then I'll do it and I'll baptize you again. You see, we can say we're believers and we can say we're baptized and we can say we're disciples and we go to the prayer meeting and we sit around the table and we... We do all that we have to do and we do our best and thank God for the mighty workers that's in this place. But, but, but. We're not having any effect. We're not having any effect now in the community. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And what is wrong is the dunamis, the power of the gospel let loose. When they got saved and when they got baptized and they became believers into John's ministry, I wonder, did they get the rise of the Lord and got them onto John and then John went down and they took the head of him and then to crop it all. Oh, and then they took the Lamb of God. John pointed to him. One day we saw him at the Jordan. Behold the Lamb of God. They took it away. They took the crucified. 
How would, how would there be a God who would allow their, a, a dirty, filthy Roman regime to, to, to take the head of the saintliest man that ever lived, John the Baptist? Why would Rome be allowed to crucify the Savior, the sinless, holy Son of God on the cross of Calvary? We don't understand it. We don't believe it. We can't take it. We'll not take it. We'll stay the way we are. We'll stay the way you are. Whenever you explain it, come to me and tell me. Away with unbelief this morning. We don't know. We can't understand. And they said, we don't understand this, so we're going to, we're going to adopt. No, we're going to, we're going to adopt a hyper-Calvinistic position. Aye, that's what we're here now. Whatever it be, will be now. If Corinth's going to be turned around with idolatry and sons of Skeva are going to win the day and satanic powers are everywhere, we'll just batten down the hatches and we'll stay where we are and we'll say all will be well at the end. Well, I tell you, you're going to the judgment seat, sir. You have a responsibility for our bow as much as we have a responsibility for our bow. You have a responsibility for Dungannon Park as much as we have a responsibility for Dungannon Park. And you have a responsibility to be in the prayer meetings and praying and crying to God that he'll breathe and work and move upon us. Whatever will be, will be. We can do nothing about this. Oh, if John the Baptist was back, we might be able to do something. John the Baptist is not back and you are doing nothing for your 30 years sitting under it. So the first thing Paul did, tell me, man, not interested in diplomas or certificates or college training, tell me, man, where do you stand in relation to the Holy Ghost? Do you know what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost? That's what he's saying. And obviously he didn't. And I'm not debating this this morning. I'm asking you this morning, have you had that experience? I was 10 years saved. I was in Bible college and out of Bible college. I was a believer. I was a disciple. I was baptized. One day out in Gosford Forest Park in Arona Trees where I could hardly take you back to only I go off and and I know where it is, where I lay the whole day before God. And I said to the Lord, Lord, there must be something more in the Christian life than this. Lord, I left a good job and I loved every moment of it. And I did. And I had more money than most working men around the town of Armagh or anywhere else, and I loved it. And I said, Lord, there must be something more than this. Going to meetings and coming from meetings, there must be something more than this, Lord. And all the stuff that's happened in me for two years in the college, Lord, it's doing no good. There must be more than this. The Lord said, There is. There's more. There's more. Oh, my dear friend, there's more. 
course, I was taught, you see, you're saved and you're baptized and you the Holy Spirit's in you, and of course he is, or you wouldn't be a Christian. But you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And out in the Rona bushes that day and the rest of that day, I had an experience and an encounter with God that no man will ever talk me out of. The only thing I could compare it to was the day that I got saved. And from that moment, God gripped, sent me out. And the first mission went into was 11 souls saved. That's why you're not seeing souls in your missions and in your meets. And every one of them went on with the Lord. There's something missing. Don't be too proud this morning to say there's something missing. And I'm just ticking over, I'm just turning over. But I need the fire, I need the power. John says, I come to, I baptize you with water, but the one that cometh after me will baptize you with power and with fire, the Holy Ghost. Twist and turn it about whatever way you like and jangle the words about whatever way you like and twist this 19th of Acts, the first two verses, any way you like, but it doesn't change anything. The answer is, have you got the power? And I close with this. Was it not? Was it not to the church at Ephesus that Paul gave us Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Now you hold on to that. Is it not in Ephesians 6 where he says that we're to be filled with the power of God, the anointing of the power of God upon us? Is it not in Ephesians 6 when he said, in Ephesians 6 when he says, the power or the mighty power, that's the word used, the mighty power of God, you need the mighty power of God upon you. You need the shoes of the gospel of peace. You need the breastplate of righteousness and the girdle of truth and the helmet of salvation. And above all, taking the shield of faith from the fiery darts, the fiery darts, the demons, the sons of Sceva, every dirty astrology, everything that could get the fiery darts of the wicked. The only thing that's going to do it is the armor. And praying and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying in the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what happened. Fear fell on them. The name of the Lord was magnified. Many believers confessed and showed their deeds. They showed their deeds. These, these boys that were here for 30 years didn't show much deeds. They showed their deeds, mightily grew the word of God. And if you take time to look when you go home at verse 29 and 32 of this chapter, you'll see the whole city was filled with confusion. Boy, oh dear. Now I'm praying every day that God will throw that by Brandon Lewis into confusion. And that whole old conservative government and cabinet that's propping up your boy, throw them all into confusion. 
Throw them into confusion as they did in America over the weekend regarding the abortion thing. Throw this whole crowd in Stormont and in, in the Doyle and, and, and down in the south into confusion. God throw the enemy into confusion at our bow. Throw them into confusion over to Rome. Throw them into You know, Paul didn't. Paul didn't go out and he didn't say one word against Diana. He didn't say one word about them. It's not King Billy, it's King Jesus. We are not going into our boat to slay the Catholics. It's them would need to be slaying us. Paul never said a word about the ungodliness of Ephesus, of this woman. He just preached the word. He prevailed for three years with night and day, with tears and compassion, and that won the day. Oh, friend, forgive me if I'm shouting this morning. And I had to burden this into my heart. We're not going out to our bow to talk about Roman Catholicism or papists or anything else. God forgive us. We're going out to stand in that trailer to preach the gospel of deliverance for men and women. That the whosoever will may come. And that works. It worked here. It will work. It is working. Compassion, love, tears, night and day, door to door, night and day with tears. I warn. May God pray for us if you can come to our bow. Pray for me tonight as I bring a wee word and pray for Stephen tonight as he leads and pray for Barclay and pray for Stephen and pray for the preachers in our bow as we declare the word and it goes out over the radio. There's only one answer, my friends. And it's an individual, an individual thing. If you're content the way you are, stay the way you are. If you're happy doing the things you are, do the things you are. If you're happy spending the time with the things you're spending, you spend your time at them. But if you want to mean business and you want to go through and you need to go on with God, you'll need to get on your knees. Now, this afternoon, or whenever, and say, Lord, I'm surrendering all. I didn't know what Stephen preached on last Sunday. I had this message before last Sunday, by the way. We're going to have to realize that there's something missing in our lives. We can't be going on and on and on, wearing, tired, and looking back. We need to look forward to the one who does, who hath delivered. Boy, I tell you, I remember the day he delivered me down in Fermanagh. What am I? Don't you ever say that I don't believe in deliverance? He has delivered. He does deliver me every day, boy. He has delivered me and took me out of some holes over the years. And he's going to yet deliver me. He's going to take me out someday. To God be the glory.